You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Good morning. It's so good to be back with you this morning. I had the privilege last week of being a part of the Young Adults Retreat there in our Pearland Church. And I was there on Saturday night and got to preach. And then Sunday morning, got to be with the dear uh, saints there in that church. And so I'm glad to be back with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, if you will turn to Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is where we're going to be today. We, we are beginning a new sermon series that I believe will have significant impact on the way we approach this new year. The title of this series, as you will see up here on the screen, is Rest Assured, Having Faith to Rest in a Frantic World. We as a pastoral team thought before we began a new book of the Bible and going through a new book of the Bible. This would be a great way to start the year. Thinking about how to rest. How to rest in a frantic world. where A lot of times we're starting the year thinking about all the things we need to do more of. We thought it would be good to start out focusing our attention on what does it mean to rest assured. Well, this topic about knowing how to rest has really been on my heart for a number of years. It's actually been a topic the Lord has been instructing me on. And here's why. I have a confession to make. I don't rest well. <laughs> That's just not something I do well. I, I don't know how to rest. I don't know how to just turn off and be at peace. And I don't know about you, but... I've, I've had to learn how to do that more, especially during this time of the pandemic. In some ways, this pandemic has brought about and revealed restlessness to us. And in another way, it's shown us the value of just turning things off and being at peace. Now, when I use the word rest, let me just be clear on the front end. What do I mean by that? When I say we're going to be talking about the topic of learning to rest, I don't simply mean by rest, relaxation, or primarily sleep. Those, though those are important, and we will talk about the importance of those things in this series. Here, here's what I mean by the word rest. By using that word, I'm referring to an inner disposition where there is a, there is a peaceful tranquility instead of our, our inner disposition being frantic and anxious. That's what I mean by rest. And we all know what that's like. That no matter what's going on out here, we know when our hearts are just frantic and anxious and, and no matter what's going on, we're always going, we're always problem solving, there's always something to be done and, and we just can't ever turn off the noise inside. It feels like we're constantly on an emotional treadmill and there's never enough time and there's always these things to do and we're just worn and we're anxious. Now, here's what I 
have learned over the last few years that the Lord's been teaching me on this topic of resting well. It's not easy to do. Being, being at, at a place of rest is not easy to do, but I really believe this. I'm convinced of this. Learning to rest well will be the most productive thing you and I learn to do in 2022. You want to be the most productive? You want to be most fruitful? Learn to rest well. I really believe that. I believe living from a place of rest will make us far more productive than just making sure our to-do list gets done and all the things that we feel like need to happen and, and the list that we make. I think the most productive we can be is when we are just living out of a posture of rest. And today, we're going to begin this series from Psalm Three, and here's what we're going to discover today from this passage. I want to tell you on the front end what is the main point of this psalm. Then we're going to read it and then just dig in. Here, here's what we're going to learn today. Fighting to obtain full assurance of faith in the Lord produces peace within. That's the point of Psalm 3. That's the point we're going to look at today. Fighting to obtain Full assurance of faith in the Lord produces peace within. I want to invite you now to follow along as I read God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O oh Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. I will look at this psalm. In three parts this morning, here's our outline. In verses 1 through 3, we're going to see we're fighting for faith. In verses 4 through 6, resting in faith. In verses 7 and 8, the assurance of faith. So let's begin by looking back at verses 1 through 3 again. And this idea of fighting for faith. And the first thing I want to draw our attention to, that maybe we can just move right past, but I do think it's important, it'll come up a number of times, is notice that the first three verses of Psalm 3 are, are spoken in the second person. Now, that's important for a number of reasons because that, that's going to change a number of times in this psalm. But here's the, the main reason I want to draw your attention to that early. Because this is the first psalm of the Psalter that is, uh, that is given to, to David, saying that David wrote this. And yet, notice how it begins. Because it begins in the second person, David doesn't begin his first psalm with telling us about God. 
this first psalm is him talking to God. He's crying out to God. He's asking God for help. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? See, Psalm 3 is a wonderful model for us on how to fight for faith, not only in times of crisis, but also when our faith is under attack. Now, in order for us to understand the gravity of the, the crisis and the situation that David was facing, we, we need to pay attention to the historical setting in which this psalm was written. We're not always told why this psalm was written, where it came about, but in this case, we, we are given a, a real gift. There is a historical heading ascribed to this psalm. Look at it again. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So that means that the context in which David cried out, the, 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 the context in which this psalm was written occurred when David's son, Absalom, decided that he was going to overthrow his father and that he was going to take the throne of Israel. Now, if you want to read more on this, the narrative chronicling all the events that took place between David and Absalom's rebellion. It's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through chapter 18. So if you want to go back later and read that, you can discover all of the details involving what took place when all of a sudden David's son Absalom said, my dad is not a good king. He's not going to be king. I'm going to be king and I'm going to bring the people against my father and I'm going to take the throne. And what we discover when we read through the details of 2 Samuel about Absalom's revolt is that we see that, that for a time it appears that Absalom's rebellion was successful. He, he did get many people in the kingdom persuaded that David shouldn't be king and that he should be king. And on top of that, he gets David's chief advisor to switch sides. So not only is David's son in rebellion, but all of a sudden this man who he has trusted for years and has gotten counsel on a number of times, now he finds out not only is my son trying to overthrow me, but he's taken the man who's been my right-hand man for all these years. See, being aware of this, I think, affects the way we read this psalm. See, we, we can't just read Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and, and then simply envision David as a man who's just being attacked by some enemies, some foreign group of people. No, this isn't just any group of enemies. There is much more going on. This isn't just a man who's being attacked by some foreign group. This is a man who's been betrayed. This is a man whose own son has decided to turn against him. This is a man who is under attack. And his own advisor has now switched sides. Can you imagine the pain that David is feeling? And let's not minimize what's happening here. Not only 
Are there many in Israel that are now turned against David? Not only is his son leading this rebellion, not only is his advisor on Absalom's side, but they're not just simply on the internet making nasty comments about him. They, they want to kill him. This is serious. And to make matters worse, they're calling into question whether or not God would rescue David from this attack. That's the icing on the cake. As hard as it was to have enemies coming against his own son coming against him, they're saying, hey, David, guess what? God isn't going to come to your rescue. He's not going to save you. You shouldn't believe that. Now, why? Why would they question God's faithfulness to David? Well, we can't say for sure. Some commentators speculate that maybe they're starting to rebel not only against David, but David's God. But I think there's a good reason we, we should see something else behind Absalom's rebellion and their questioning, will David be rescued by God? And here's what I think could be taking place here. I think if we remember where this story takes place in 2 Samuel 15 through 18, if we remember what happened in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. What happened in 2 Samuel 11? David, the king, commits adultery with Bathsheba. And then to cover up his, son, his sin, he, he kills her husband, Uriah. And listen to these words in chapter 12 when God confronts David through this man named Nathan. Listen to what he tells David is going to happen. 2 Samuel 12, verses 10 and 11. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Do you see what could be taking place here? Do you see why people might be saying, including Absalom, God's not going to come to your rescue? Because they're seeing the writing on the wall. Why is this rebellion even taking place? It's because of your sin, David. Your sin has brought all of this about. So you, you can imagine why David might be wondering, or, or the people might be wondering, is, is God going to come to David's rescue? When we, when we consider the context of this psalm, we realize that David was fighting the fiercest battle imaginable. Here was the fiercest battle that David was fighting. It wasn't with his son Absalom. He was wrestling with this question. Is God for me or against me? Am I alone in this? Are they right? Is all of this just my doing and, and, and it's going to be done because of my sin and my mistakes? 
19th century British pastor Charles Spurgeon said this, which I think really gets at the heart of what David might have been experiencing here. He said this, It is the most bitter of all afflictions to fear that there is no help in God. It is the most bitter of all afflictions. All the afflictions you could go to, it is the worst. Not just to be betrayed by your son and your your faithful advisor, the most bitter affliction any man could go through is to wonder, is God going to help me? Am I alone? Have you ever experienced the bitter affliction of wondering if God is going to come to your aid? Or have you wrestled with that very thought, maybe God has abandoned? Maybe God is just letting me lie in the bed that I've made. And he's not going to come to my aid. He's not going to come to my rescue. If you've ever felt that way, you've ever wrestled with those thoughts, then then let me encourage you, look look at David's example. Because I think David's example here in Psalm 3 is instructive. It teaches us what to do when the enemy of our soul attacks us. Look, look, look what David did again in Psalm 3, verse 2 and verse 3. Listen to what the people are saying. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation from him and God. So that's what the people are saying. But listen to what David says. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Did you notice what David just did? David fought the battle against his enemies with faith. Here's what the people were saying. And instead of just listening and giving in to the the voice, he counteracts the claims of the enemy. What does the enemy say? David, there is no salvation for you to be found in God. And what does David do? Instead of just listening to the voice of the enemy, he says, no, that's not true. Here's what I can confess about who the Lord has been to me. And that's what he does. In verse 3, he says this, The Lord is his shield. The Lord is my protector. This wasn't David's first rodeo. How many times did Saul try to take him out? I've been here before, Absalom. You're not the first one who's wanted my head. And I'm still standing and I'm still breathing, not because I'm a great warrior, but because God has protected me. I don't know how all this is going to play out, but the Lord is my shield. And he's my glory. You know what that means when David says he's my glory? David is saying my claim to fame is that I belong to him. It's not that I slayed a giant. It's not that I'm the king of Israel. What makes me who I am is that God, the God of Israel, set his affection on me and made me the king. That's what makes, that's my glory. That's my claim to fame. David said he's my shield, he's my glory. And then he said he's the lifter of my head. On those times where David felt defeated, wondering what Will I make it out of this cave alive? Will I make it out of this situation alive? Will I make it out of this battle alive? And he's discouraged. The Lord lifts his countenance. 
the Lord encourages him. So David counteracts the lies of the enemy. God's not going to come to your aid. Oh, he's been my aid so many times. He's been there in the trenches. He's helped me when I was weary. He's lifted my, my weary face when I had lost all hope. Now, what can we learn from David's example up to this point? What, what, what can we see so far that can help us learn to rest well in 2022? Well, here's a central truth that I've discovered about what it means to rest. Not only here from Psalm 3, though this is on full display here in Psalm 3, but I think it's really the foundation of the rest of our, of our series. It's a simple truth, but it's a profound truth. It's this. It takes faith to rest. See, rest isn't simply about having more margin in your schedule, getting more time off, making sure that you're not overworked, that you're exercising. That's not what rest is about. Rest doesn't begin with those things. Now, those things may be important, but ultimately, rest only comes as an act of faith. It's when we express faith that we can rest. And here's the thing we need to understand. That the Bible, when it talks about faith, it talks about it in ways that sometimes we forget and it's good for us to be reminded of. So if, if it takes faith to rest, here's what we need to know about faith. Faith is a fight. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said about faith a number of times, both in First and Second Timothy. For example, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he said, fight the good fight of faith. How often do you and I forget that, that faith is a fight? It's not just this one-time thing, hey, back in when I was 12 or when I was 33, man, I, 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 I believed. No, it's a fight. It's every day getting up, in the trenches, knowing everything that I held to yesterday can't, can't just be something I said, well, okay, I'm still believing that. No, every day we got to get up, we got to reaffirm, we, we got to fight. Faith, faith is a fight. Faith, faith is a fight. Now consider this. If faith is the foundation for rest, and faith is a fight, you know what this implies? Rest takes work. Rest takes effort. It's one of the things I've learned about myself, and I would submit this to you. Maybe the reason we don't rest well is not only because we've got too many things going. Maybe we don't rest well because we think resting is just pushing the pause button. Rest takes effort. Rest doesn't just come naturally. It's not just turning off our phones, going out in the woods, Rest requires work. It's, it's a fight. Because faith is a fight. And faith is the foundation for rest. Now there's another truth we must consider that's actually connected to, to this one. We must strive to be restful. And that happens when we fight for peace within. So you see the progression Rest is built on the foundation of faith. And faith is a fight, which means it takes effort. And, and if faith is a fight, then, okay, how, how are we fighting? How are we fighting to get rest? We're fighting for peace within. 
Here's what I know from, from me. I can't speak for you, but I would guess that you're similar. I'm aware that most often I'm more concerned with the battle that's raging around me than the war that's taking place within me. That's what I know of me. Is that true of you? When life is just getting crazy and things are happening, aren't we all far more aware of the circumstances and the situation and the heat and the hardships and the struggles and our eyes are all out here and we think, man, if all of this just got solved, I'd be, I'd be at peace. No. That's all a distraction. Rest doesn't come when all of those things, when all the battles go away. Because the ultimate battle for rest takes place in here. It's a battle for peace within. Friends, let me just say this. The greatest battle that we're all going to face this year will not be a battle with cancer or health challenges or even like David, betrayal of broken relationships. The greatest battle every single one of us will face this year will take place within us. It will be the battle with unbelief. That is all of our battles. No matter what you're going through, no matter what 2022 holds for you, whether it's a good year or it's the hardest year you've ever experienced, I don't know what God has in store, but here's what I know is true of all of us. Our greatest battle is going to be the battle with our own unbelief. To trust God to take God at his word. That's going to be the battle we're going to have to fight if we're going to be at rest. But be aware of this. The battle taking place inside of us will never be won by simply looking within. The battle that takes place within us is only won when we look outside of us. Now that brings me now to verses 4 through 6. Resting in faith. And I just want to draw your attention again. To the shift. Notice the shift that takes place in verses 4 through 6. It goes from second person to third person. Now, now David is not speaking to the Lord. He's speaking about the Lord. And this is what he says in verse five, 4. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. And we can just read past that so quickly. And miss the depth and the insight of what it means to have faith in the Lord that's found in this single verse. So I kind of want to camp here for just a second. Because there's so many things David just said in this single verse that really instruct us on what faith looks like. Now we're going to come back to this topic of faith at the end of this series. And just kind of, it'd be the bookend just to, to reinforce not only things said today and things said throughout the series, but to make sure we understand, okay, if it takes faith to rest, what, what is faith? But I just wanted to take a few minutes today looking at verse 4 to make sure we understand what does it mean to actually have faith? Because faith is one of those words like love. It gets thrown around a lot. But I don't think we always use it in a, in a clear, helpful, and definitely biblical way. So let's be clear, what is faith? 
Well, we learn a lot about faith here in verse 4, and we see two things to begin with. Faith is active, and faith is objective. Faith is active, and faith is always objective. Notice what David did. He, he models faith for us. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord. That's faith at work. That's what faith looks like. Faith isn't simply holding to just a set of beliefs. Faith is far more than that. Faith is an active trust in God. It's going to God in our, in our situations, in our difficulties, in our unbelief. David didn't just sit back and just recount, okay, here's my faith. I'm just going to recount some theological knowledge, some biblical truths, some doctrines I've learned over the years. No, faith didn't just take him to doctrine. It took him to a person. He all of a sudden finds himself in this crisis. And, 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 and what does he do? He cries out to the Lord. Which is this, another thing I want to draw our attention to. We can just move right past that word Lord. But notice it's in all caps. It teaches us something about what faith is. David cried out to who? To Yahweh. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That's what the word Lord in all caps means. It's, it's the divine name of God. It's, it's the name associated with the God of Israel. You know what this means? It means that, that David's faith was objective. He wasn't just believing in any God, just some God he had made up, some God he had heard about, the God of the culture. No, his faith was in God the God of Israel, the God who had revealed himself. His faith was objective, not subjective. You see, faith is not based on whether or not I feel like something is true. That's often how we speak about faith. Like faith is a, is a tube of toothpaste we squeeze. Like faith has to do with how much I have. But faith isn't subjective. Faith is objective. It's not about whether I feel this is true or not. Faith says, is this object, is it worthy of my trust? This one that I'm looking to, this thing that I'm looking to, in this case, this God that I am looking to, is, is he trustworthy? Not do I feel like everything's going to be fine, but is he trustworthy? Then he goes on to say in verse 4, he cried out to the Lord, and he answered him from his holy hill. Even that little line just instruct us on what faith looks like. There are a number of things that, that are important to point out in just that statement. The answer me from his holy hill. One, one of the ways that we understand the importance of that, of that phrase is by going back to chapter or to Psalm 2, verse 6. Look at the psalm right before this one. The Lord says this. Ask for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. What is Zion, the holy hill? It's Jerusalem. So when David says, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill, David was reminded it was the Lord who set me on the throne in Jerusalem. This wasn't in my life goals. I didn't, I didn't run for office. I got here because the Lord put me here. Now, why is that important for us to remember? We'll go back to the story of Absalom's rebellion. And what happened 
as soon as David and his, and his men heard of, about this rebellion and what was going on, and that thousands were on their way to overthrow David, David flees Jerusalem. He flees Jerusalem. The place in which God had put him on the throne. He has to leave for a little while out of caution. Think about this. What confidence do you believe David had during those long nights? Hiding away like a thief, like a criminal. How, how much confidence do you think David had when he laid there at night, knowing at any point he could hear the sound of his enemies approaching? How much confidence do you think he had? I don't know how long this is going to last, but I'm going to return to Jerusalem. Because the Lord's the one that put me on the throne. See, David is an example of faith. David wasn't just believing in some truths that felt good to him. David was banking on what God had done and what God had said. See, David's a great example of what faith looks like. But that's not all. There's one more thing to, to, point atten- uh, to draw attention to in this, in this phrase. That the Lord heard him from his holy hill. One more thing to, 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 to point out, and it's this. The Lord whom David cried to was the one whose presence dwelt with his people in Jerusalem. So not only had God set David in Jerusalem, but this God he's crying out to, he knows he dwells there. He's put his presence there. I, I've been in his presence. I know what he's like. So here's David once again aware of who who this one he's crying out to is. See, David's faith, once again, wasn't just in in, in some God that he made up. It was in the God who had revealed himself, the God who had come to his people, the God who had rescued his people, the God who was dwelling among his people. And that's important for us to remember. It's important for us to remember as his people that our faith, must always rest in God's revelation about himself. That's what David's doing here. David's resting in this revelation that God has given him. See, the fight of faith must be objective and active if we want to experience rest. Now that brings us to verses 5 and 6. After David cries out to the Lord, he says this, I lay down... I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who've set themselves against me all around. What an amazing example. Now when you read David say that thousands of people have set themselves against me and you realize the context, he wasn't just using hyperbole. Go back and read 2 Samuel. If I'm remembering correctly, it's like 20,000 are coming against him. And what does David do? I'm going to go to sleep in peace. And then he says, and I woke again. Because the Lord was 
with me. Psalm 3 has actually been referred to by Bible commentators as a morning psalm because of this verse. David says he slept and woke. And then Psalm 4, verse 8, says this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. Psalm 4 is an evening. Here are these two psalms put together where David wakes up. I slept because I put my faith in you. Before he goes to bed, I will will sleep in peace because I've put my trust in you. This pattern of a morning psalm followed by an evening psalm is instructive because it reminds us that the fight of faith is an all-day affair. See, the fight of faith is an all-day affair. You want to be at rest? You got to have faith. And faith is a fight. And faith takes effort. And guess what? Here's the thing. Do you know why often we're not at rest? Do you know why I'm often not at rest? Because faith is a fight that I must fight all day long. I may get over one hurdle. And my soul's now at peace only to encounter a new one. And I find my soul frantic and anxious again. It's it's an all day fight. From the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, I have to fight and you have to fight to be at rest. It's truly amazing that David was able to sleep without fear, though thousands were pursuing him in order to bring his reign to an end. Which leads us to ask this question, how could David sleep peacefully in the midst of such turmoil? How in the world could he do this? The answer, he looked outside of himself. He turned to the Lord for help. That's what he did. And his example is helpful to us. David provides a compelling example of how to fight the battle of faith. You realize what David did? David won this battle and found rest through prayer. All of a sudden, There is all of these battles going on out here. And David fights the most important battle in here. And sleeps peacefully because he he goes to God in prayer. We, We all know, or I'm sure most of us here are familiar with the words of Philippians 4. But think about these words again in, in, in the context of this psalm. Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7. Listen to what we learn about prayer in these two verses. Do not be anxious about anything. That's the opposite of rest. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So here's the Apostle Paul doing the same thing as David. Are you anxious? Pray. And listen to the result. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How often do we view prayer as only a means for God to fix our circumstances? But one of the most beautiful, sweetest things about prayer that makes it so important is prayer does something to us. It all of a sudden takes our restlessness, it takes our anxiety, it takes our worries, and all of a sudden we go to God with them, and the battle out there still may be going on, but I 
of a sudden you're like, whew, I don't feel the anxiety and the burden and, the, and, and, and just the, 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 the frantic nature. All of a sudden we feel at peace. I could give far more examples. I'll just refer this one to you. Later on, look up Matthew chapter 26 and read verses 37 through 41. Look at Jesus' example. The night where he said his soul was troubled in the garden of Gethsemane. What does he do? He takes some guys. In the night when he is most troubled, when his soul is, is battling, and he prays. And you know what he says to his disciples when he finds them asleep? He tells them, could you not watch with me and pray? And then he says this. That basically through prayer, it's the way that they're going to fight temptation. And he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Did you hear what Jesus just said? One of the reasons you need to pray, disciples, this very night is not simply so that something will happen outside of you. But prayer is meant to protect you from the temptations of life. See, prayer is a way that we, we fight the fight of faith and, le- and live with a restful and peaceful soul. Now that brings us to the assurance of faith in verses 7 and 8. Pay close attention to the way in which this psalm ends. Notice it now moves from third person in verses 4 through 6 to second person again, just like we saw in verses 1 through 3. Think, think about verses 7 and 8 as the bookends. They're the bookends along with verses 1 through 3. Why do I say that? Notice the, the, the language that we saw in the beginning of this psalm and how it ends. Oh Lord! are in both sections. And then notice what happened in in the beginning of this psalm. David says his enemies were rising up against him to defeat David. And what does he say in verse 7? But the Lord is rising up against my enemies to defeat them. So his enemies are rising up against him in the beginning of the psalm. The Lord is rising up to defeat his enemies by the end. What happens in verse 2? They question whether or not the Lord would rescue him. No salvation will come from the Lord for David. And how does David end this psalm? He says, oh no, salvation belongs to the Lord. He will rescue me. See, these last two verses resound with a profession of faith in the Lord. That's what David's doing here. Notice how this psalm is working. David states his his crisis, and then he ends by saying, I know this is what my enemies were seeking to do to defeat me. I know this is what my enemies are saying. But here's what God is doing, and here's what I'm saying. It's a profession of faith. Now, what can we take away from this last section as we close that will help us as we seek to rest in the coming year? Friends, if full assurance of faith in the Lord is the antidote for fear and restlessness, then false assurance and lack of faith are the fuel for fear and anxiety. When we lack faith and we have false assurance, it it causes us to be afraid and to struggle with anxiety. And one of the ways 
We can have false assurance that can fuel restlessness in our souls is when we believe for a moment that if the Lord is faithful and we've done everything right, we will not experience trouble. Time does not allow us to to go back and do this right now, but, but go back and read Psalm 2, verses 1 through 5. Because the very king who the Lord put on the throne, you know what he told him? The nations are going to rage against you. They're going to try to overthrow you. So in some ways, though, maybe the situation with Absalom had several factors. One, maybe this was going on because God was bringing judgment upon David's house. And another way, what's happening with Absalom is what God said would happen against his anointed. Trouble is going to come. I don't think David woke up most mornings as king and saw trouble and said, what? How can there be trouble? I'm your anointed. He knew trouble was going to come my way. Hardships are going to come. Friends, I'm not a prophet. But I can say to you with a degree of certainty that things are not going to go the way you hoped for or planned in the coming year. Unexpected hardships are coming your way. They're coming my way. Don't, don't believe for a moment we're exempt from trouble. Now, here's another truth. We must be convinced of if we want to find rest for our souls. When the battle comes, the Lord will fight for us. Look at verse 7 again to end. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. The psalmist speaks this way often. Are these images of the Lord fighting for David foreign to you? Let me ask you even like this. Are you uncomfortable with the prayers of David or any other psalmist in which they ask the Lord to defeat their enemy? Often we think, well, that's not very Christian, right? That's not very gracious of God. Are you uncomfortable with these psalms? Friends, I find great comfort. And I think you should too. Here's why. Because we learn from these kind of prayers that, that, that God fights for His children. He didn't just sustain us in hardship. He fights for us in ways we may not always see. But God goes to battle for us. God fights for us in all the struggles that we face. And friends, listen, God's going to fight for you in the coming year. Whatever battles come your way, Whatever struggles you go through, if you are one of his children, if, if Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord, you, you need to trust that whatever the situation is, the Lord's going to fight for you. He's going to come to your aid. You may not always see it, but the Lord takes care of his children. Which brings us to this final thing I want us to close on. Because we take this away from David, and I think it's important for us to end here. Our personal identity and the way we view ourselves can either be a source of false assurance or it can be the fuel to obtain assurance of faith in the Lord. If you look at Psalm 3 and you listen carefully to David, listen to how David talks about himself. I believe if you were to ask David, who are you? Once again, I don't think David would just say, well, I'm the giant king uh, killer. I'm, I'm the king of Israel. 
I think David would answer the question, who I am I? Here's who I am. Who I am is defined by who I belong to. And I'm the Lord's. I'm the Lord's. That's all you need to know about me. I, I'm, I'm his. I belong to him. Now why do I think that's an important note to end on? Because David belonged to the Lord. His sin and the consequences of his sin could not thwart God's plans for him. If it's true that this psalm was written because of Absalom's rebellion, and we, we realize that Absalom's rebellion most likely occurred because God had brought judgment on David's house, it would be easy to say, well, Lord, why should I even cry out to you? I brought this upon myself. But because David belonged to the Lord and was one of his children. His sin and his consequences of his sins could not thwart God's plan for him. And here's the good news. That's true for us today. It's true for us today. God will not treat us as we deserve if Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. So as we end, I, I, I want to encourage you. If you belong to the Lord and you go through any battle this year and you find your soul just stirring and weary, cry out to the Lord in prayer. Trust His promises and believe that He will come to your aid even if the problem you're coming to Him about was a problem brought about by the mess you've made, like Psalm 3. God will still and will rescue you, and will deliver you, and will fight for you, and bring you through. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at Psalm 4, and we're just going to keep building on some of these foundations. I look forward to just seeing what the Lord has for us in the days ahead, but let me pray for us now. Oh Lord, would you now take what we've heard and help us to apply it this very day and this week that we would be people who rest in you. And Lord, if there's any here this morning that are not at rest because they are seeking to fight the battles of this world on their own, and Lord, they, they don't belong to you, and they don't know that you're for them, Lord, I pray that today you would open their eyes, make them aware in their heart, that you brought them here to hear this message so that they would turn to you, cry out to you, and that they would be changed and saved. And all of a sudden, all of the, the, the noise inside and, and, and the pain, Lord, there would all of a sudden be peace. Would you bring that to anyone this morning who is longing for it? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today. How kind of you to be our good shepherd. Speaking to us and caring for us. Through the preaching of your word. We give you this time now as we leave and as we sing. We ask that you would help us throughout the week to continue to apply what we've heard. We pray this in Jesus' name.